0: on this week's episode we're talking about cyanide i've already died you're just a funeral i've been waiting for cyanide living dead inside break this empty shell forevermore forevermore forevermore, forevermore.
1: it's just a funeral i've been waiting for
0: welcome to plot twist some slam poetry for you courtesy of Metallica. I bet you've never heard a Metallica slam poem ever. (laughs) I'm Janelle and today I learned how to floss the right way at the ripe old age of 29. I'm Morgan and today
1: marks four years since I've seen a dentist.
0: This is Plot Twist A Grave Affair, and we'll be talking about everything that happens at the funeral home and beyond. But specifically today, cyanide! <laughs> I don't know, poisons. Talking about poisons. What poisons do to the body, and maybe more relevantly, if that's a word, the field of toxicology and post mortem to- toxicology. How do we find out if someone's been killed by poison?
1: Ooh, fun topic. <laughs> ooh, fun. It's so fun. I knew it was going to be fun because we came up with it together. So yeah, Our idea, actually, we're, we're A plus students. You're like,
0: actually surprised. Like, ooh, wow. Who would have thought of such a good oh idea?
1: My gosh.
0: It's me, you bitches.
1: All right. So let's go ahead and get into it and talk about poisonings and postmortem proof. Poisoning people as a means to an end is nothing new. In fact, the use of purposeful poisoning goes back to around 331 BCE. These very early cases were seen around the dinner table or slipped into drinks. Before poisons were taken to the human race, you see various poisons being used to ensure death when hunting and killing animals. Although, this isn't quite as interesting as when the use of poisons are for murder.
0: Well, looks like here we got a murder on the plantation. What's that thing from the office where it's like, looks like we got a murder. I just want that to be like
1: all you say like every day when you wake up. like. During the 1800s, you saw a boom in chemical production and poisons were now easily accessible. At this point, you see arsenic in rat poisoning, flypaper, and weed killer. Strychnine was another common poison and could be extracted from the seeds of the Nux vomica tree, which grows in Southeast Asia and it became widely available in the West as a trade. Strychnine was prescribed in small doses from a doctor as a tonic, and was also widely used as citywide pest control
0: formula. Wait, I'm a little confused. So they they use it as a tonic, but uh-huh. also as like a as a poison? Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Okay. I guess that's the, that answers my question. Uh, but the, it was a smaller dose as a tonic. Okay. I guess there's a lot of things that can apply to. Um.
1: So. It was used as a tonic uh, for any kind of stomach problem, circulatory stimulant, central nervous system stimulant, and it killed rats all over the city. Hmm. So. Fun. And, of course, you cannot forget cyanide. Cyanide was used Everywhere and in everything from paints to wallpapers. I believe it was even in different cosmetic products at the time. Um, Those are just very few examples of the many new pantry poisons that were common during this time.
0: I don't like the phrase pantry poisons. I mean. It's a good one, though. It's just everything available to you to just. I made it up. Oh, that's good. No, I like that. That's a <laughs> really like, good I phrase. It it's a really good phrase. Because,
1: you know, they're in your pantry.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, it just shows how else, accessible they are.
1: I'm sure somebody else has said it, too. But, like, I didn't see it anywhere. So, it's like, they're pantry poisons. I like that. With all these new poison possibilities, in the early 1800s, we see toxicology, the study of and detection of poisons, start to bubble into the scientific community.
0: Hell, yeah. Now we're cooking with gas.
1: People are starting to... No, like they're they're very aware that people are getting poisoned but there's no real way unless there's you know evidence at the scene at that point there was no real way to prove it so it's mostly going on hearsay or circumstantial evidence yes which they're starting to be like "Mm, not so sure about that we should look at that a little bit harder and that's where this kind of toxicology effort in the scientific community comes from According to an article produced by the Crime Museum, during this time period was when a French scientist named Mathieu Orfila produced a scientific work titled (laughs) Trait des Poisons, Terres de France, Minerals, (laughs) Vaches, Animals ou Toxicology, General.
0: We don't have any French listeners. You know, honestly, they probably wouldn't even know that was supposed to be French. I'm sweating. I mean, I'm convinced, but I don't know any French. It's a... T-
1: <laughs> oh, God. Um. We can just leave it with traits des poisons. Okay, yeah, yeah that's Because cool. I think that part I got, it's it a little sketchy after that. Orphila analyzed poison's effects on humans and created a method of detecting the presence of arsenic within murder victims. His book discussed the techniques he devised and soon became a commonly used guideline for murder cases in which detectives suspected the use of poison.
0: So he's kind of like the granddaddy of toxicology. Oh,
1: he's for sure, Daddy Toxicology. <laughs> oh like, so he's not just the granddaddy; like he's the daddy. Oh my God! Okay. <laughs> In
0: 1806, Daddy of Toxicology Orfila and his as- assistant chemist, uh, who we'll call Little Daddy, Little Daddy Valentine Rose, develops a way to extract arsenic from the stomach of a deceased person. They would cut samples of the stomach tissue, boil them in distilled water, and then strain the solution. I would love to see what it looks like at this point. Like, It'd be so interesting. It'd be disgusting.
1: It would be gross. gross. In the
0: smell. Imagine Ooh, the God, smell. Oh, God, yeah. Ew. They then removed the leftover organic matter, and pre- like, whatever precipitate was left was tested for arsenic. Professor Orfila's methods were really, really put to the test. There was a corpse that they wanted to test for arsenic. The problem was this person had been buried for seven years. And the evidence and the suspicion that he was poisoned was just now coming up.
1: Oh, wow. So after, so they didn't suspect anything for like seven
0: years. Right. Right. So the man who was in question, Pierre-Joseph Bouvier, they thought he may have been poisoned by his daughter, Josephine. When her father remarried, she would lose her part of the inheritance because it would all go to his new wife. So she basically poisoned his drink with arsenic and he ended up dying. The maid, Marie, another Marie, she started to notice some weird things. She noticed that he started not feeling well after the... Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't a drink. It was like some like oatmeal stuff not oatmeal but like grits or something
1: Oh like some cream of wheat
0: Yeah I don't remember like what word they oh, Was
1: it like um oh <laughs> like ooh, porridge Yes I was trying to say Yes of like- it was like
0: porridge, porridge that she um she remembered that he started not feeling well very shortly after throwing up very shortly after breakfast and that Josephine was really involved in the breakfast that morning and like asking her to do stuff and you know, give her father this certain thing. And she really, you know, normally wasn't involved in like the breakfast preparation. So she got suspicious. She's like, this timing is just too weird. So Marie confronts Josephine and she paid Marie off to keep quiet. So she basically
1: admitted. Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: She admitted that she had murdered her father and said, listen, I'm, I'm going to pay you now and I'm going to pay you in installments over the years for your continued silence. But years later, seven years later, she went to collect her payments, and Josephine refused to give her the money that she had promised her. So Marie did what any sensible woman would do in her situation and turned Josephine in. Shit. So they called in the big guns. Big Daddy or Fila. Big Daddy! <laughs> Ooh! They knew if anyone could find some trace of poison, it was gonna be him. Remember, this has been seven years since the man died, and even Professor Ophila was afraid that the body would be too badly decomposed to trace arsenic. Luckily, he and his team were able to collect nine pounds of stomach tissue from Pierre's body, which they were pretty happy with considering it had been that long, and I am just shocked that they were that that much soft tissue was left after all these years. Yeah, nine pounds? Oh my gosh. Yeah. They were still able to find the proof of arsenic poisoning even seven years later. This provided a lot of hope for the field of toxicology and kind of opened up how limited that could be. The, now we can look look back years into the past and identify identify poisons, and it doesn't have to be a fresh poison. New evidence can come about, and we can still hopefully convict somebody. What happened to Josephine? I forget.
1: Oh, my gosh. I want to know. <laughs> I, hold,
0: let me look it up. So Ms. Josephine got off easy. I don't really understand how any of this works. But basically, she didn't show up to her court summons and ran around the country for three years. So they tried her in in her absence. And the judge found her guilty. And she should... She should have her right hand cut off and then be immediately executed. Kind of feels like overkill to me. But eventually they found her. Cut off her hand! Cut off her hand! And then just kill her. They found her. She she turned herself in and then they retried her. I don't understand how she gets a second trial after all that, but since she showed up, they had another trial and they found her not guilty. What? Yep, after a half hour of deliberation, they found her not guilty. How? how? I don't know. It's just crazy how, I mean, I guess now that she's here and her lawyer's here to defend her, but like. So how the the arsenic get in his body then, huh? They said he would have died soon anyway. Uh-huh. Why? Because he lived a life of Lysitianists. I don't know what that means. He he used a bunch of drugs and alcohol. And he was already sick and would have died probably anyway. And then they're like, well, actually, it wasn't the arsenic. And the maid was lying because she was actually having an affair with him. Which I don't buy for a second. That's bullshit.
1: They always blame the maid. They
0: always blame the maid. And here we go. All of these, like, side distractions these are all just red herrings distractions to distract from the fact that they have actual physical chemical proof of poison
1: yeah and how much poisoning was it that it was in there that you could still detect it after seven years right it That's has to crazy. be significant ah dang i really wish they would have cut off her hand like that would have been I a know. more of an exciting end here
0: she didn't even get her hand cut off she just ran free
1: well, you see, you got to cut the hand because then other people will know, like, obviously you did something really bad. Like, isn't that how in the day they knew? Like, if you didn't have a hand, mm-hmm. you were like a thief or you like murdered somebody. And so the people would stay away from you. Right. If you only <laughs> had one hand. Okay,
0: that's actually kind of mean now that we're talking about it like that. What if you just were born without a hand? Or what if it got oh, in well, an accident? That
1: sucks because people are going to think that you did something bad. Because didn't in like the Disney movie Aladdin, didn't they like um, yeah. threaten to cut off his hand because he was stealing?
0: They did. I forgot about that.
1: Not that that is any in any way factual, but you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Remember the Disney movie? That's super early. It's like really based on fact and everything. Yeah, I
0: definitely get my historical information from Disney movies.
1: Marie was a young woman born in 1816, and she married Charles, who was 28 at the time also very young charles father owned an estate that went under during the french revolution we have to do the drama backstory here so Mm. charles tried to turn a profit to cover the debts from this estate by turning part of the estate itself into a foundry but he failed Uh, so because of this he thought the only way to pay the creditors for the debt accumulated was to marry a filthy rich woman. So he thought the solution was to marry. As was the solution to like... That That was like your problem fixer back in the day. Is mm-hmm. Just get married. So Charles worked with a marriage broker. Which is... why That's wild. A marriage broker. And this broker was also working with Marie's father. The, the broker helped Charles lie about his <gasps> circumstances, claiming that he was a very wealthy iron man who made 30,000 a year. And I didn't look this up but like that's got to be a lot of money in money. So, yep, big lie. Of course, this appealed to Marie's father. Marie's father did hide the fact that he worked with a marriage broker. So Marie had no idea that this was being arranged in such a way. Um, but I don't think oh, so that she it... just
0: thought it was like a meet cute. Like her dad's like, I met this yeah. really nice guy for you.
1: Yeah. So I don't know how he presented it exactly to his daughter. But Marie did meet him and found him to be very dislikable. But she did agree to marry him based off of. His wealth. She was thinking, oh, well, he's really freaking rich, so I could get used to this, I guess. Eyes on the prize, girl. Eyes on the prize. Pretty much is how that went down. So they married the 10th of August, 1839. And once she got to his home and saw that he had no wealth and that the creditors were knocking on the door, she was furious. When I was reading through some of the stuff, the way they describe his home, which I believe was on the estate, is just completely run down rats everywhere like absolutely disgusting kind of like made me think it was like living in a barn Mm. so she's thinking this is gonna be some like real real nice living situation come to find out it was not so she was very angry some say she threatened suicide and some claim she begged to release to be released from the marriage And I don't know what that would look like back then.
0: I don't know. Maybe they'd be like, yeah, he's a big fat liar. Yeah. Annulment. I don't know.
1: Possibly. So in December that same year, her husband was away in Paris and she decided to send him a letter along with a Christmas cake. Oh, how thoughtful. How sweet. So after eating the cake, he became violently ill. Um, Of course, Marie had laced the cake with poison and this was arsenic is what she used so he became really sick but he didn't die right away from the arsenic poisoning it was just not enough to kill him it was found that she continued to poison him throughout the holidays by mixing arsenic into his eggnog as well very festive watch out (laughs) watch out for those Christmas cakes and that eggnog So, eventually, the poison took its toll and Charles met his end. And he... What's that? I don't know. How do, can you make that noise? Yeah. Yeah. We're making a slicing motion across <laughs> yeah. our throats. Yes. You can't see it, so it doesn't matter. But, um, so, eventually, he did die. This mysterious death went to trial and many tests were tried. Orphila was called in. Big Daddy over here was called in on the case and administered the Marsh test. Now, the test looks for even the smallest amount of arsenic in the body. um, So, Daddy tested on (laughs) the corpse. And he also tested the ground around the body, proving that arsenic was present. And I did look up how the Marsh test works, but I'm not, like, I'm not a science gal over here. It was like an equation. So if you are into that and want to Google how it works and understand reading equations in that way, go for it. But I don't know how to help you. It works, and there's numbers all around the place. Lots lots of stuff. It's like looking at the periodic table. I looked at it, and I was like, you know what? I believe. I believe that it works. I don't have to see to believe.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So... I trust the science.
1: I trust the science. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, it it does sound really cool. I'm just not the kind of person that wants to see the math written out on paper. I want to, like, actually do the mm-hmm. experiment and understand that way. Yeah, as soon
0: as, like, plus and minus signs get involved, I'm out.
1: Yeah, 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 I was out. <laughs> After the trial, Marie was sentenced to life in prison. And she was very lucky to get life in prison. Or unlucky.
0: Depends on how you look at it. Yeah, it depends on how you look at it. So this was probably one of the first, if not the first case, that they were able to prove with with like an autopsy toxicology test that someone was poisoned, right?
1: Yeah, so this was a really, really big deal um, in the science community and really in... I guess, do you want to say, like, the crime community in the courts? Like, to know that this is an option, especially just because this was, like, a really freaking common way to just kind of throw those deaths under the table. You know, a Mm -hmm. lot of people were were poisoning each other. It was a madhouse. Like, watch (laughs) out. Like, I mean, seriously, like, don't eat your food. You got to have somebody test that shit. Don't Mm -hmm. drink your teas. Like... I mean, I guess it wasn't that common, but, like, think about how common it is today to die from, you know, like a weapon, like a gun. Mm -hmm. This was pretty common. Yeah. Just, I guess, I don't know if that's a good comparison or not. But, so it was a really, really big deal.
0: And there wasn't a lot of follow-up with these because you couldn't really prove it, so. It was an easy way Mm -hmm. to just be like, oops, I don't know. But thanks to the daddy of toxicology, not anymore. Not anymore. Daddy's here to save the day.
1: So although the Marsh test was invented by a scientist named James Marsh, not Orphila. Um, daddy used the test. I think he was one of the, if not the first person to use the Marsh test in a setting, in a court setting. Um, Although, Daddy himself, he, he really did still steer the field of toxicology forward and um, was very creative in the different developments that he was able to invent and come up with during his time. Um, just wanted to clarify that the Marsh test was not invented by him, but used by him in a court of law, which was huge. Orfila worked to make chemical analysis a routine part of post-mortem testing. And also was one of the very first scientists to analyze blood and semen under a microscope. He also studied the decomposition of bodies, exhumation, and effects of asphyxiation as well. He also worked towards improvements in public health and medical
0: training. Jack of all trades, if you will, when it comes to the dead. And that's why we call him daddy. (laughs) Daddy. We don't call him Daddy of Toxicology for nothing.
1: So in this day and age, 2023, what is the most discreet way to poison someone and avoid finding out a poisoning has ever occurred during an autopsy?
0: Disclaimer, this is not advice. It is not. (laughs) This is speculation. This is not advice. We're having
1: fun here, people. But you could find it if you were looking. In the right places. But
0: honestly, like,
1: just don't even think about it. Because, like, toxicology has come a really long way. It's going to be very hard not to, I mean, most likely you will be found. Except for some of these cases you may not. So, you know, up to you. So, the best poisons in 2023 to use, theoretically, are ones that break down into elements that naturally occur in the body. This makes sense. I'm not a killer because this, this is something that never even occurred to me. So, this word. Um,
0: do you know this word, Nurse Janelle? I do succinicholine. Oh my This God, is a medication God. that's used like during surgery to keep you, or like when someone is on a ventilator to keep you still and keep you basically paralyzed so that you're not interfering with the things that are keeping you alive.
1: Ah, coming in with the facts. Nurse Chanel over here. Thank you. Cause I had absolutely no
0: idea how in the world to pronounce that.
1: But as we go on, I'm going to refer to it as sucks. Sucks.
0: sucks. That is what they, that's what that's is like the medical nickname for it. So
1: it's legit guys. So, Like you said, it causes paralysis and, you know, for the point of using it for surgery. But it could also be a really painful death. Death. (laughs) It could also be a really painful death.
0: Anytime they're using it, you have to be on, be intubated so that you have a machine breathing for you because this will also, it paralyzes your diaphragm as well. So this is, like I said, during surgery you're going to have you're going to be intubated. And this is also usually in either of these cases, you're also going to be using some sort of sedation because otherwise you're basically wide awake and can't move. So that's kind of a really horrible way to die because you're just sitting there like a board, suffocating. So you they typically wouldn't use this on their own. Oh, damn.
1: Yeah, that would be horrible to just not be able to move and that's just the way you're going, so... Sucks would suck. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But apparently that is an element that does naturally occur in the body as well, says the internet. Hmm. I don't think it's to that extent. Like, okay, this might be... A good way to poison somebody if they'd recently had a surgery.
0: Right, because you would expect that in their system. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And then there's also potassium chloride. And this causes heart arrhythmias and mimics the symptoms of a heart attack. So that is also something to consider. If you're writing a fictional novel, um, these, <laughs> so these poisons will break down into elements that are naturally in the body. and easily be missed like succinic acid and choline for sex, potassium and chloride, of course, for potassium chloride, which is very common in heart attack victims due to the damage that occurs in the muscles. Both of these poisons would need to be injected and leave an obvious injection site that someone would find when examining the body. This would be hard to write off if the person did not take any kind of injectable medications.
0: I would also argue when it comes to potassium chloride that that could definitely be detected in a blood test. So like so let's say for example this person was poisoned via IV in the hospital with bolus with potassium chloride. Potassium chloride is something we give in the hospital for patients whose potassium is low because low or high potassium can cause issues with your heart, can cause arrhythmias and problems with your heart pumping. So if they were in the hospital during this time, it would make sense for them to get potassium in the IV. However, they may have had their blood tested shortly before death or could have it tested after death. And... It may be, depending on this person's circ- person's circumstances, very suspicious to have a high level of potassium. There are some physical, you know reasons someone might have a high potassium with other medications that they're on, things that they're eating, kidney problems, things like that. But if they were to take your potassium and they're like, this person has a really high potassium, their kidneys are fine. They haven't taken anything that has, you know, that would raise their potassium or prevent them from breaking down potassium. Why is their potassium so high? That might be something that even though it is found in the body, if you have a, a deadly level of potassium in your blood, it's going to show up on a blood test. So it depends on the circumstances, but it may be very suspicious. I would I, argue.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Best case scenario. I hate saying this is the best case scenario. Yeah. <laughs> but like if, let's say you wanted to poison somebody... If they're already on a lot of medications, like this mm-hmm. might be potentially overlooked. Right. If they're doing, and especially if they're doing like injectables, mm-hmm. and if maybe it was a problem that they had in the past, even right. like if you know like the past medical history of this person, yeah, kind of like a story we might write um, in the mm-hmm. future. <clears throat> um, this could be the ideal person to poison.
0: Well, on the other hand, between comparing succinic choline and potassium chloride you uh, succinic acid and choline are not things that are going to be run on a typical like metabolic panel on a typical blood test potassium and chloride are tested on every single like metabolic basic panel that you run so that is another red flag for that is because if they're going to run at the time of death any sort of panel i don't really i'm not like a mortician so i don't know if they would run this after death if there were suspicious circumstances, but if they did, if they would, did happen to be poisoned in the hospital, there's a very good chance we would find out just from routine tests.
1: So I'm wondering <clears throat> if you are choosing to poison a person and this is a method you you go with, um, the longer the body sits without being given a blood test, like let's say you were poisoned and they didn't find you for a couple weeks, mm-hmm. do you think that that would have an effect? I don't know. On the levels you see in the blood. I don't know.
0: I mean, it's not being absorbed by the body or metabolized by the body at that point, but, like, I don't know anything about post-mortem, anything.
1: Could be interesting. Aconite is another great poison that could go undetected. It leaves aconitum alkaloids, but these will only be detected by a gas chromatography. Chromatography. Yeah, yeah. So if that potentially is not given, you could potentially get away with this one. In the end, death typically will result from paralysis of the respiratory system or cardiac arrest. What is useful about this poison is it can be absorbed through the skin or consumed. And it only takes about two milligrams of pure aconite or one gram of the plant to kill. This method is fairly undetectable as long as there is no cause for an in-depth autopsy and it can be ingested rather than injected.
0: So it sounds like if they were to do a brief assessment and they were there's no reason to suspect foul play, this is not going to raise any red flags. Yeah.
1: But typically, I think... If someone's poisoned, there's probably some other people that know that there's something going on Mm -hmm. and they might look into like family drama or relationships or whatever. I feel like if this is somebody's motive, there is at least one other person that has some sort of feeling that this wasn't
0: right. Mm -hmm. And that, and I feel like a lot of times when people are poisoned, it's a very sudden death. So it raises some alarm bells. Yes. I
1: agree. There are options. There's probably more than this. (laughs) I found this information on a question and answer board online called worldbuilding.com. But when I looked further into it, it looks like this information does check out for the most part. I mean, I didn't do like a detailed, like super deep dive where I was like looking into it for days upon days on end. But like from some of the stuff that I looked up, it does seem to check out tell me if I'm wrong, you know, take this off a grain of salt and don't plan your murders on a message board (laughs) online. Um, That, my friends, is traceable even if the poisons are not. (laughs) Like, you know, if you were thinking about something like this and then um, you've listened to our podcast uh, and, you know, police are going through records and shit, they're going to be like, hmm, that's a little interesting that they would really want (laughs) to... find out about poisons post-mortem maybe we should look into that so yeah you know if you're gonna poison somebody don't implicate us yeah don't implicate us we're not telling you what to do and people are gonna be looking at your records of what you're googling what you're looking up what you're listening to so beyond that it would be very easy for somebody to be like that's a red flag they listened to this episode of plot twist three times i found notes in their phone on it what's that googling where they can get sucks at i don't know guys it just doesn't seem smart so don't go poisoning anybody Uh, but but the person who did ask this question on the message board (laughs) they stated it was for a fiction novel but i
0: don't know is it really do you remember when we were going to write a fiction novel about almost this exact same thing? Yes, I do. It was... We've drafted it. We've drafted it. We've we've planned the whole thing out. This is like bringing it back to me. Except our method of poison was different. But you know, maybe I don't want to say. Maybe we'll still write this book. I think we should. I think we should. It's, a, it's, a, it's going to be a thriller about uh, in-hospital suspicious deaths. And I guess you'll have to find out someday what the murder poison weapon, whatever is. Is it a fiction book?
1: Is it a nonfiction book? We're not going to tell you. Is it? Is it an autobiography?
0: Just kidding. I would <laughs> never. never.
1: Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so if you or someone you love suspects they have been poisoned, please call 800 222 1222 i repeat that is 800-222-1222 and if you call before 5 p.m you'll get a free knife set i'm kidding (laughs) knife set i don't know and you'll have a professional to talk with i believe somebody in this room (laughs) has had to call 800-222-1222 that would be me
0: my professional's name was what the fuck was his name I want to say Frank, but I don't think that was it. We'll just call him Frank. And I was home. I was This is after, I was in my early 20s. I was in college. And my mom comes running downstairs in her bathroom. It's probably 11 o'clock midnight. My sister and I are just bewildered. My mom often wakes up in the night and doesn't really know where she is. And she's a little disoriented and just goes back to sleep. But this time... She reached over to grab her eye drops that are sitting on her bedside, but grabbed her some sort of essential oil that was sitting right next to it. I wish for the life of me cannot remember what it is. Can you say it was peppermint? Oh, I think it it was peppermint or it was something similar like I don't think it was peppermint, but it was something very similar to peppermint. And so she put that in her eye and then realized it as she started waking up because the bottle was different and her eye was tingling. She's like, "What do I do?" And I was like, I don't know. You're the mom. And so she's like, I don't know. I'm just going to go back to bed. And so then I Googled it. I did a quick Google search and saw a picture of someone's eye just like totally destroyed by an essential oil, the, this particular essential oil. And so then I like, my sister and I just come screaming up after our mom. We're like, Mom, no. I call, I talk to Frank, and he's like, okay, what you're going to do is you're going to run, run her eye over lukewarm water with either like a cup or like a, a sink or something like that for 10 minutes. And so we take my mom into the bathroom, and we had her lean over the bathtub, and I had like a cup of water, and we're just pouring it in her eye. After about a minute and a half of that, she gets tired. And is like, okay, I think that's enough. I'm going to bed. I was like, mom, Frank told me to call him back after I did this, and I don't want to tell him that we didn't do it for the full 10 minutes. She's like, I think I'm fine. I'm tired. You were the one who ran downstairs in a panic because you're going to lose your vision. Oh, my God. So I didn't call Frank back because I was embarrassed, and I didn't want to tell him that I didn't listen to his instructions, but... My mom still has her vision, and... Frank is probably traumatized to this day not knowing if your mom still has her vision. I know. He's probably like, oh, my God. He's like, that poor woman probably can't see now. But no, if you're out there, thanks to you, my mom still has her vision in both eyes. I'm sure that's not the first time that's happened. Probably not now. That would be a really interesting job. I bet it would be, but probably scary, too, because I don't know how many of those people probably... Don't make it. Probably better than a 911 operator, but like.
1: Well, interesting. I wonder if he's heard anything about mushrooms because the other thing I saw on the message board. Rolling back to easy ways to kill somebody. If you have the right person who likes to garden, gross things in their garden, outside, like vegetables. Um, you know, throw a couple nightcaps in there. They might accidentally chop them up and eat them.
0: That mm. actually might be the best option. Yeah, I wonder if that's detectable.
1: I wonder if Frank would know what to do. I mean, it is detectable, but it would almost be like, well, this person always like grabs things and makes mm-hmm. things out of their
0: garden. Right, and be like, maybe they just didn't know.
1: Yeah. you
0: would have to be the right person, because if they'd have it to have be. reasonable suspicion that they would do that themselves. But if that's the case... Honestly, Janelle, you
1: might be the right person. I
0: probably would be the right Necessary, person. That's scary, but
1: I'm like, you already have like mushroom books in your home. You have a garden outside. We have you're a ton a new, of mushrooms new in to foraging. Mm-hmm.
0: Everybody stay away from me. <laughs> stay away. Keep your nightcaps away from me. So, back to business. Pretty much the only way to gather internal evidence is... post-mortem is with an autopsy and autopsies are often mandatory with any case that has a probability of drug overdose or poisoning when poisoning is suspected physical assessment is going to be really important just like in any other autopsy many poisons produce certain hallmark signs and symptoms that can be noticed before or after death so you could ask maybe someone who was with the person maybe if they go to the emergency room like what's going on what did they look like but there's a lot of signs that can be seen after death as well. For example, a garlic odor would indicate the likelihood of arsenic poisoning. And if you smell like a bitter almond scent, that could be cyanide.
1: This this stuff is just so cool. Um, Even though I've like read all this, I'm just like, this is so cool. Like a garlic scent. Are you kidding me? Like the fact that part of your job is to sit there and sniff this body is a little off putting, I must say. But like, it's very interesting that not only like the visual stuff and the tests of the things that you can't see, But just like the scent coming off the body could be an indicator of just such a small amount of poisoning like that. Fucking cool.
0: And there's a whole list online. I was reading through this too. And there's just a different list of what the inside of your stomach lining could be. Like what color is it for all these different chemicals and what all the different smells might be for different poisons. It's amazing what you're able to tell just by physical assessment, Mm -hmm. which is the same with alive people, which is why this is so interesting to me. And the skin might also help identify the type of poison involved. Jaundice could be a sign of copper poisoning or phosphorus poisoning. Cherry red hue might be a flag for carbon monoxide. If they're blue or brown, well, part of their body's blue or brown and normally is not, that's a cause of concern for aniline poisoning. Regardless of any type of these signs, the poison that's suspected still needs to be confirmed with a toxicology testing, but this can point a medical examiner, in the right direction and kind of give them some suspicions of what might be going on.
1: Typically during an autopsy, an initial test is run to identify a range of drugs and common poisons. The coroner may order a gas chromatography for less common substances if they suspect a poisoning. But only about half of all deadly chemicals aren't detected by any of these tests. Toxicology testing can become extremely time-consuming and expensive. Tissue samples should be taken as soon as possible before the body is disturbed for best results, but they can be collected later if the suspicion for poisoning develops later on, like it did in that, um, that case with Josephine. Peripheral blood is one of the most useful samples for poison analysis. Blood samples taken just before death, like if a person comes into the ER with different poisoning symptoms, are more
0: ideal. We can take what we can get, though, yeah. in the in medicine. A urine sample also can be helpful because it gives some insight into how long ago the poison was ingested. If the drug is broken down or metabolized by the kidneys, the amount in the urine will vary as it breaks down. You might think the stomach contents would be the first sample to be taken, but Poisons are actually hard to identify from the the stomach because anything in the stomach has not yet been absorbed into the body. The majority of stuff that you eat or substances you ingest are going to be absorbed in the small intestine. So the stuff that's in your stomach really hasn't affected you yet. But a sample from the stomach can indicate any poisonous substances that have not yet been identified. Um, Digested and again can point a toxicologist in the right direction. So let's say maybe they had been taking this over a period of time, they may be able to say, Okay, I'm seeing that th- this poisonous substance is in the stomach. Let's check it out. Maybe they had some earlier or have been chronically poisoned, kind of like in the t- case we we're talking about earlier with the poison eggnog. Poison uh,
1: freaking eggnog.
0: Poison freaking eggnog. We can't even have the nice holiday things anymore. No. Hair samples can show evidence of chronic poisoning, but they aren't good for identifying a single dose incident because even when you're drug testing, that's kind of the limitation and strength of hair testing is if someone is acutely using drugs, it doesn't really show up. But if someone's using drugs over a period of time, you can see that more clearly in the hair sample. And tissue samples are first screened for a variety of drugs and poisons. Any substance that does not come up as negative is further analyzed. It's not considered positive until the result is confirmed by more specific tests. So basically, if they can't rule it out, they look more deeply into that specific toxin. But they really don't know until they test specifically for that. So that's how, I mean, that's the basic rundown. We're obviously not experts on autopsies but
1: we are not experts on autopsies and we are not suggesting you kill your neighbor
0: please don't kill your neighbor please Please don't don't. kill anybody this
1: is just a podcast for people who are morbidly interested in this topic it is not a suggestion (laughs) to go out and do your worst that's for sure this is not a how-to murder podcast this is absolutely not a how-to
0: if you want to murder somebody this is definitely not the place to get your information because We're looking on message boards. We're just as clueless as you are.
1: I mean, we're probably putting things in here secretly that would like, just in case you're going to, really really,
0: like trip you up. Right. Like a little red herring Mm -hmm. and be like, ha, actually, that's too obvious. Loser. Can't believe you believed us. I, this one was fun. I liked doing yeah, this one. This,
1: this was cool. It was interesting. Um, there is a really cool book out there. Like, if anybody wants to read it, I want to read it. It's all about poisonings in the Victorian era. I didn't use it as a source because I couldn't get it from my library because somebody else was borrowing it. But it looks really freaking
0: interesting. Some of the information we got is from The Secret Poisoner, A Century of Murder by Linda Stratman. So look into that. That is one book that I actually want to read more of.
1: So the book that I wanted to get from my library but still have to wait on is called The Royal Art of Poisons. Um, you know the author? Eleanor Herman. Royal Art of Poisoning. I am going to still try to get that because it seems right up my alley and I would like to read it. It's all about poisonings in, like, the royal courts and such.
0: Also, we've kind of been kicking around the idea of um, starting a virtual – morbid book club so i'm going to share with you our tiktok which is where we'll be posting our book reviews but we'll be suggesting books that you guys might like that we've read and we would love it if you guys could like comment your thoughts or stitch a review what you guys think of it like i want we want to know what you think um our tiktok is at plot twist podcast literally just that follow us Oh, yeah, definitely follow us on TikTok too. Yeah. We're trying to get on <laughs> Book Talk right now. So. Cyanide! Cyanide! Cyanide, I've already died. It's just the funeral I've been waiting for.
1: Cyanide, living dead inside. Just
0: an empty shell forevermore. Forevermore,
1: forevermore. forevermore. It's just the funeral I've been waiting for. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at official underscore plot twist pod. Music is courtesy of Matthew Modena and our resources are in the show notes.